All right, I want to welcome you and invite you to grab your notes and let's jump into this together as we take on the second session in Men's Roundtable, Sons and Daughters. And so um, it's my joy and pleasure to be with you. Um, I was thinking in preparing for this, we're writing some new material, and Bill and I have been working on it, um, going all the way back to the very first Men's Roundtable. I felt like we were teaching, teaching, uh, taking such a huge risk that we had never done anything like that, any material like that, and we invited all these men. And so I can remember the night before not sleeping, just worried, terrified that we're going to get there. This whole thing's going to be a big failure. No one's going to learn anything. I'll probably get fired, run out of town, whatever. So that's not how it went. I wouldn't say that it was perfect, but it was uh, what, what, what did happen, what went well was we, we invited all these men to come learn about the responsibility of being a man. And our men came together on that morning in September. It was dark outside. They came together with a sense of expectancy that God would do something. And so as I have been working on this material, thinking through it and getting ready to teach these three sessions that I have, um, that, that, that that same idea, my prayers, but the same idea would be true here is that we would have a sense of expectancy of what God might do, how he might lead us. And that as we turn our focus towards things that are very important to being a man and taking on responsibility of manhood, um, that he would honor that, that God would honor that. So uh, grab your notes and let me, let me walk you through a few things as we get started to Get started with a recap. Bill did a great job, and I don't have to go back into all that. Normally I do have to go back and clean up all the mess that he made, but this time not so much. He did a good job leading us um, through Genesis and helping us gain some clarity about the failure of Adam. Um, and we have this definition that, that, that we use and that he put up last week of masculinity, the four aspects of masculinity and the definition around it of rejecting passivity, accepting responsibility, leading courageously, expecting God's reward. And we see that Adam fails in all of those areas. And, and here's, we're working with the passage and we're working with scriptures, but we also recognize a lot of this is about wisdom, about how we apply. And so we're more focused on the practical side, the wisdom side, and the action side than we are the theological piece. But we think we can see all of this in Adam in his failure. We think we can see all of this in Jesus and in, in how he responds and how he cares for us and how he moves towards us. So we're going to leave that there. And as Bill takes us from Genesis, then he takes us into Romans, and we see this language around the first Adam and the second Adam. That we are born into this world, we have the nature of the first Adam. When we, are, when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, we are reborn with a new nature of the second Adam. And so this is very important for us. And so I'll say this, if you um, are not a Christian, then we're going to offer things to you that, that may be very helpful to you. Right? That there's, there can be some good wisdom here, some good solid advice, some good solid counsel. But here's what I would tell you, is if you really want to live the Christian life then you got to make peace with God through his son Jesus by trusting in him. And then he gives you new life, new drives, a new nature, new motivations, and new power to be able to live out this kind of life. So we have in your notes here, so I wanted to make sure that, you, that we acknowledge this. Our life and motivation, here's the, the blank I want you to fill in. Our life and motivation come from being born of the second Adam is that we have to be clear about that. If we're going to have real sustainable power, real sustainable motivation, it's got to come from being um, born again into the second Adam and having his nature. So here's what we're going to do <clears throat> over the next few weeks. Uh, we're going to do uh, two sessions on boys and two sessions on girls. 
we're going to we're going to artificially in some ways break that into two pieces eight years old to 14 years old girl uh, boys and then uh, 15 years old to 20 years old and then we'll do the same thing for boys same thing for girls eight to 14 15 to 20 um, and so as you're thinking about all this the, the exact year is not that important more or less our children mature at different ages. We're just picking some spots where we, we think the heart of the talk fits there, the heart of the energy. Vicki and I have done some work on parenting uh, for our church. We have some of those resources available that will take us up through eight years old, 10 years old, somewhere there. And so hopefully that, that can be helpful to you. We don't want to deal with too much with the gender uh, below eight years old because a lot of that so much overlaps, right? There's so much there that's just the same. We're parenting, teaching them how to be under authority. There's, there are some gender issues, but not, not as much as the seasons that we're headed to in middle school and high school and on into college. Uh, another thing that Bill shared is this concern versus responsibility. We want to challenge our dads to make sure that they're clear on what they're actually responsible for so they win at the right things. There are lots of things that we're concerned about. But we may not, that may not be our responsibility. And as saddened as I might be to see failure in these areas, it's, it's important that I'm clear that I, I'm going to live with some failure. I'm going to live with some disappointment. I'm going to watch some things around me that aren't going to go well because I'm going to channel that energy towards responsibility. And I think there's even maybe an outer layer of things that are distracting that we can get caught up in that are actually counterproductive to what we're doing so we got some distraction we got to make sure we rule that out we got concerns that we acknowledge but we can't focus on but our responsibilities are most important so as we talk about this idea of practical calling and that, and there's theological undergirding for this but a lot of this is just some language that we've created to distill some ideas to be able to give men clarity so they can take action notice that those are two things that are very important clarity so I can take action. I'm not going to get it all right. I don't have to get it all right. But to have clarity to take action. So when we talk about this practical calling, here's, here's the language that we're using. Three things that are real important. Pursuing, protecting, providing. So this is a, this is a river that's flowing this way towards me of masculine energy. All right? What we're saying is this river of energy is flowing we think that one of the things that helps give clarity, we can have some clarity around, is how would those things divide up? Pursuing, protecting, providing, we think are three areas where a man needs to channel his energy and his resources that he needs to be aware of and be thinking about. There's other ways to think about it. There's other ways to process it. This is just one way that we've chosen some language and some categories that we have to help us think through how do we manage masculine energy? How do we challenge that? And so you've seen... When um, that kind of energy gets misdirected, masculine energy gets misdirected, you're like, wait a second, what about female energy? Right, the scriptures talk about that. That when a woman becomes idle, what the consequences of that are, what the difficulties of that are, what the challenges that, needs to be, that need to be addressed with that and how that needs to be dealt with. But we're not really talking about that. We're talking about masculine energy right now. So as we think about us and what kind of clarity and direction we need, we want to be responsible with this. When you get to an illustration, when you get to the end of Band of Brothers, the last episode, where they're still in Europe, but the war is over. So now you have hundreds of thousands of men who've been fighting, but now the war is over and they've been focused on something, pouring energy into something, and now it's over. And now what happens? And so you see that energy start to turn sideways. 
and you start to see their behavior um, down spiral and their mentality start to corrupt. And so we've seen it there. You've seen it with, if you take um, two or three 13-year-old boys and let them get bored. Mm. I mean, not, take one 14-year-old boy and isolate him and make, leave him alone for hours and hours on end, particularly with a cell phone. And you'll see how that masculine energy gets corrupted. So this is a real thing that we have to deal with. And we have energy for this. And we need to work on it. We need to be thinking about it and get clarity around it. So we're going to jump in. I'm going to give you some examples of it. But let me just say this. I want you to be encouraged. We're going to work to challenge you. We're going to work to encourage you. And we do not want you to be overwhelmed. Although that is part of learning and growing and failing and the experience of being here and taking on something that's really important. There's going to be some failure. And so I'm at that place in life where I'm in the middle. I have some kids who are essentially grown. Uh, I have a couple kids in college. I have two at home, uh, one middle school, one high school. I have um, I'm watching them take off, make some decisions that are great, some decisions. I'm like, oh, I wish you would just let me make that for you. Um, and at the same time, I, so I'm looking back on a lot of parenting. I have some parenting left to do. I'm looking back on you know, 20 years of parenting, I'm evaluating that. And then here's the other part, because I'm in the middle. I lost my dad two and a half years ago. So now I'm having increasing amounts of thoughts and clarity about him and his parenting and the complexity of who he was as a man. And one of the things that I've noticed about uh, how this goes is that for my dad and my experience with him, uh, because of his humility in some ways and his willingness to come back when he was wrong and say that he was sorry, a lot of his wins turn out to be more important than his losses in my, from my perspective in our relationship. With him, because he was willing at times to acknowledge his own brokenness and his weakness and his failure, his wins turn out to be more important to me than some of his losses. And so I'm processing through the complexity of a dad that I had. I'm processing through my complexity, some of my wins, some of my failures with my children. Um, no, looking at what it looks like for my children to be prepared to be able to do this going forward in the future. And so here's what I would tell you. The gospel frees us to do this kind of work. It frees us to be able to say, I don't have to be perfect. I trust in one who is perfect and I've already been accepted. I'm not earning anything. I'm just trying to respond well to the opportunities and the responsibility he's given me. So I'm free to be wrong. I'm free to learn. I'm free to grow. So let's put some skin on this idea of pursuing, protecting, providing. The words self-describe. So there's, there's not a lot to define there. We define, we're just repeating what we already have. But to make it intuitive by giving you examples in different arenas kind of helps broaden our thinking and then ultimately deepen it. So look at your notes. For the married man, this is the softball. This is the easiest one to hit out. What does it mean for a married man to pursue, protect, provide? I give you just a couple examples under each one, and then you just, you know, you, you kind of get used to the language, get used to the words. Um, obviously, for a married man, he's pursuing his wife. He's building the relationship. It's his responsibility to stay engaged, to pursue his wife, to resolve conflict. He pursues her in conflict. Well, I'm wrong, and I just feel ashamed, so I don't want to pursue her. That doesn't matter. Got to pursue her anyway. She's wrong. She needs to come back to me. Well, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? But what we're going to do is, even when she's wrong, we're not worried about what her responsibility is. That's her walk with God, but I'm going to pursue her even when she's wrong. For the sexual relationship, you go, well, you don't understand how complex our sexual relationship is. Let me tell you something. Everybody's sexual relationship is complicated. 
right? So that's the work that we do as men, is that we're responsible for the romantic sexual side, and we got to learn how to pursue. It's another series that we've done in Men's Roundtable. Go look at that. The idea of protecting, how a married man protects. He makes sure the doors are locked at night, right? That's one thing that he does. When a relationship gets complicated or something gets difficult with the school or uh, in, with this bill or whatever's happening with the mortgage company, that he can intervene and protect her. He can take the hit, right? That's pretty obvious. Or he can protect her from the children. If you have, like I had five children, that was my major job for about three or four years, was just coming home every day and um, putting the clan back in, right? The tribe, just kind of wrestling them back in and giving her some breathing room. What does it mean for him to, to provide? It's a, the, the idea of working. So we got pursuing, protecting, providing, that he is providing for her financially. And you go, well, why would we need to say that? You'd be surprised. We have kids coming out of college. This is a new thought to them is that I'm going to be, I told a couple young men I was meeting with last year, I was like, when you graduate, you're going to go to work. You're going to be working for the rest of your life. You're going to work just about till you die. Because everything's going to be so expensive, you're just going to have to work your whole life. They were like, really? I was like, yes, I know, the insights. I'm not even charging you for that. It's a great insight. that You're going to go to work. Your job to support and provide. You provide um, opportunities to get away for your wife, to decompress, to disconnect from some of her responsibilities. You provide opportunities for her to grow, to grow as a person. What are her gifts? What, what is it that she's wired up to do? What's her unique contribution? Let her grow in some of that. So just even under that, the easy one of what does it mean to pursue, protect, provide as a married man? That's, that's a softball. It's easy for us to see. And sometimes, here's what you're thinking. Sometimes I got a lot of energy for that. But sometimes you're thinking, I do not have energy for that. So this, God's created us with energy that moves in that direction naturally. But sometimes we don't, we don't feel all that. Well, now's when we go back to our, our definition of masculinity. We're like, look, I don't, I don't depend on feelings, emotions, reason. I have a calling on my life. I reject passivity, accept responsibility, lead courageously, expect God's reward. I'm going to gut it out till, till he comes around, till he rewards me. But I'm doing it because he's, he's already done all this for me. He's done all these things for me. So we go back to the motivation. Even when I don't feel like it, I have a new motivation. I have um, a definition that's rooted in what Jesus has done for me. And so that's where the energy comes from ultimately. Let's look at the single man. How he pursues, protects, provides. He pursues, uh, imagine this, he could pursue a woman to date and to get married. It's a novel thought. And so there are times in our culture when I wonder if it's just, if this idea is going away. But I, I, we got to keep it, we got to hang on to it. A single man will pursue a woman. He may pursue friends. That's something that he does. He's going to pursue friends. He's going to pursue relationships. He could pursue people who are marginalized, people who've been left out of the flow, who are not in the right clique or not with the right group of people. He, he would pursue people who are on the edges to be able to include them. There's lots of energy he can give to that. The idea of protecting. How does a single man protect? He looks for opportunities to protect the weak. And we live in a culture where there are tons of weakness. Well, there are tons of weak people, fragile people that need to be cared for. That becomes part of the ministry that he has. It's to be able to be alert and to be, he has extra time and energy to care for the weak. One of my mentors, he died a few years ago, um, never did marry, spent his whole life single. He anchored in 1 Corinthians 7, 32 through 35. We sat up the night before I got married. He goes, you do realize that after tomorrow, you do not have the kind of time and energy that I have. He goes, I go to the hospital in the middle of the night. I go wherever I need to go, when I need to go, to do whatever I need to do. He goes, 
you got a little bit of that in you. He goes, but that ends tomorrow. So we'd had that conversation like 10 times. He had made me clear even before the wedding. But that he was, and that was one of the things that he found in his life is that he found the weakest of the weak and he spent 30% of his life caring for them. And it was orphans, orphans and, and orphanages. And he, was, he supplied, he raised money for orphanages. He took kids away to Disney World, um, traveled all over the country, providing for those that could not provide for themselves. Um, you know, here's a novel idea. The single man in our church, what I would want is that when the single man in our church dates a woman, he protects her and does not use her. I would love it if that was characteristic of our church. And so some of our single men are like, hey, man, you don't realize how, how hard she comes on to me, how much she's pursuing me and how difficult that is. I'm like, I hear you. I've never had that problem, but I'm just telling you that you got to be a man. You, this is an opportunity for you to fulfill this, to protect someone. And then providing. A single man can provide opportunities for his friends, opportunities for his friends to connect, opportunities for the weak to be cared for. We had a guy in our church a few years ago that was single, and he, his choice for a year, he lived with a guy who was disabled and so took care of him for that year. Not all day long every day, but getting up in the morning, then at night, and then there were times throughout the week where he needed to care getting to a doctor or something like that. And so he, that's what he gave his life to for a year. A great example. Now for the dad, the dad portion. What does it mean for dad to pursue, protect, provide? This is um, what we're going to be talking about over the next four weeks, going into a deeper level, a deeper dive, deeper level on all this. But let me just give you a few thoughts on the surface to think about for, um, for a dad, how he engages his children. And from the, from the big picture, we want to be men that we engage and we initiate with our children. Like we engage them, we go into their world. And so there is a time and a place where, where I want to go into my children's bedrooms. Where it's an appropriate time and an appropriate way and be on their turf, in their space, comfortable in their space, them comfortable. Because so much of them is having to come to my space on my turf where I engage them on their terms. And not just in their personal space, but also where they, um, where they, where they, where they go to school and where they work and where they play. That, that they get engaged in all forms. And so that we see ourselves as those who are on the move, initiating with them engagement and initiating conversation. Is that we initiate conversation and we want to ask questions that get to the heart and that we want to speak to the heart. Now, I'm not talking about a three-year-old. we got too many people in our church who are trying to have conversations with a three-year-old to try to get to the heart of a three-year-old. Let me tell you, the heart of a three-year-old, there ain't much heart there, right? That's just behavior to work with, right? There's not a lot of heart in a four-year-old. So let's just, let's, let's relax on all that. But a 14-year-old, there's a lot of heart. An 18-year-old, there's a lot of work to be done. Getting into that soul, figuring out what's going there, trying to help them deal with some of their motivations and what's driving them. We want to create tethers. We want to create events that keep us together as a family, whether it's a vacation or going away for the day or a fun night together. Events that pull the family together that we're pursuing, keeping us together, keeping us connected. The big idea is that the connecting falls on us. It's a responsibility. And so I would just say you cannot go days without connecting with your 16-year-old daughter. That is a huge mistake. You're not going to go a week without really significantly connecting. And son too, but particularly for that daughter. And some of the connecting is encouraging. 
Some of that pursuit is encouraging and some of it is discipline. It's raw, it's exposing, and it's painful. And when it's over, we don't get it all put back together. Which makes the next time we pursue that much more important because the last time wasn't great. Right? Last time was painful, but it just shows I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. I'm relentless. And even when I have to bring bad news to you, I'm not going anywhere. I'm still with you. I'm still for you. And I'm still going to engage. What does it mean to protect? Well, obviously now we protect our kids from danger. But I mean, that's getting even more clear. Is that we're trying to protect our daughters from getting kidnapped and being shipped around the world. I mean, that's happening all the time. We're protecting them from identity theft. Not the kind of identity where they lose a credit card and a social security number. The kind of identity where your whole, everything you think about the world gets absorbed into all your classmates. It's a collective view of the world. That this is how we all dress. This is how we all talk. This is how we all act. This is what we spend money on. This is where we go. This is where we spend, where my identity gets completely absorbed into a classroom of other 14-year-olds. I'm going to give you the big insight here. 30, 14-year-olds is not a wise group of people, right? So we got that, and that's going to feel like an uphill battle, but we are trying to protect their identity, keep it in a place where they can, where they can at least see the light of day and try to see what God would do with their identity, and they would be able to get it, not just from the people they're around. We want to protect them from idolatry. The language of, you are the best soccer player out there. You need to practice more and probably get a scholarship or you're the smartest kid in this classroom. I mean, you're so smart and we're going to start you. Can I just, <laughs> a contrarian view on a couple things. There's really no reason to teach your two-year-old to write. I've not met any, in our context, in our culture, I've not met any 17, 18-year-olds who can't write. They can all write. What difference does it make whether they learn at two years, four years? What difference does that make? Or the whole thing of starting your child in school, you've got to get them in school early. To do what? Well, they're so smart. Right, but then they're going to they're gonna go to middle school, and then they're just going to go to high school early. Well, then if they go to high school early, they can graduate early, right? And then they're going to go to college early. Well, then they get out of college, then they go to work early. I mean, you're, and you're thrusting your child into a new environment where everybody's older and more mature, and they're younger and less mature. Maybe you should start your kids at a younger age. I don't know. I'm just saying. Somebody needs to ask some questions about what is the point of what we're doing. All the 22-year-olds I know would be good to be back in college for another year. They don't want to get anywhere early. They're good for how it is. I don't think that's healthy either. I'm just telling you, right? We're protecting them from bad influences because bad company corrupts good morals. And so that's proper. We're working on that. We're protecting them from temptations. And so, and I said this a minute ago, the temptation, there's no 10-year-old boy that needs to be walking around with a smartphone in his pocket that has all the pornography in the world on it. That's just not even, you're, like, you're not coaching him through that. There's no real 14-year-old girl that needs to be dating a 16-year-old guy. She don't need to be dating. I'm just, I'm just telling you, you go, well, I think I, I just give you a thousand examples of why it's not a good idea and a thousand times where it hadn't gone well. You can protect them from those kinds of temptations. Um, from being proud to, of thinking, we protect them from thinking that they're better than they are, they're more powerful than they are. Everything about our culture says you can do whatever you want and it gives an inflated view of self or protect them from being consumers, that this world is here for me to take and consume. I was in a meeting the other night with a guy, uh, some college students doing a Q&A 
And this kid, and it was a great moment, this kid sincerely asked this question. Well, the leader said, hey, let's do some takeaways. What are the takeaways from tonight after two hours of talking? And this kid goes, I learned tonight that I shouldn't get everything that I want in life. And he was being dead serious. And we all kind of chuckled. And then he was like, no, no, this is the first time I've heard that. And I don't remember saying that, but something about what I said alluded to that idea. And because I would never have thought to say that. I would never think to say hey, you're not going to get everything you want in life because I just, to me, that's blatantly obvious. But we are in a place where, as the world is evolving, that, that that's, a, that's a message that's being communicated that you should get everything that you want, right? We've got to protect them from themselves, once again, by exposing their heart, their weaknesses, their failures. Um, and we've got to protect them sometimes from mom. Sometimes mom oversteps. She, she's, she's, she's being counter. And not really helping. And then we got to protect them from dad too. Sometimes you got to sit down and say, hey, I overreached here. I overreacted. I panicked. I made a mistake. I misjudged the situation. I spoke before I listened. I can give you a hundred things that I've had to apologize for. But to be able just to acknowledge, I'm not perfect and you're not completely flawed. You're flawed. I'm flawed. It's my first day on the job. It's the first time I've had all this going on. I'm trying to figure it out myself. Third idea, providing. What does it look like for dads to provide? Obviously, food, clothes, shelter. Obviously, we, we need to provide those things. We're also providing a safe place for them to grow. Like we've got to create an environment where we, we give them opportunities for failure and success. We're trying to protect them from destroying themselves and also not micromanage. You're like, what's the balance between micromanaging and protecting them? I don't know. You've got to figure it out. Some of that's related to the chemistry of your family. Some of it's related to the chemistry of your personality, to the personality of this child, which at this point early on is more important than gender. And in some ways, personality is more important than gender on this issue all the way through, right? Opportunities for character development. Let me give you my new definition of character development. You want to develop your children. You're going to put pressure on your children to perform. But here's the last word that makes it make sense. In obscurity. If you want to develop the character of your children, you got to give them opportunities to grow. But it comes from you putting pressure on them to perform in obscurity. And what we're doing in this culture is we're putting pressure on our kids to perform in public so that they can get praise and glory. And then we can vicariously get praise and glory. And the things that happen in private, we're not putting any pressure on them to perform where no one can see, where no one applauds, where there's nothing to put on InstaFace, where there's just nothing to do. It's just where you don't get any credit for that, right? So we want to bear down in areas where they're not going to get credit and see if they'll perform, and it's just about character. It's just about resolve. It's just about trusting in something bigger than yourself, working hard and and getting tougher and getting stronger where there's no essential reward. There's no short-term reward. The only reward is long-term. So we got, we got work to do on that. Then we are providing encouragement and discipline. I mentioned that earlier. We're providing direction and guidance. It is shocking to me how many dads are silent in the area of direction and guidance. And, it's, and from my perspective, it's, it's usually out of self-protection. I don't want to have to go on the hook. Giving them guidance, giving them direction. Then if it doesn't go well, they're going to be able to blame me. Be like, blame me? All I've ever done is try to help you. And I'm willing to take the risk. I'll guarantee you my idea is better than your idea. There's no doubt my idea is going to be better than your idea. 
And I'm not trying to control their future and what they're, I'm just saying, but to be involved in guidance and direction and say, okay, here's the kinds of things you get to decide. Here's the kind of things that I decide. And here's the kind of things we'll work on together. At least have some categories to think through and work through on that. But to be able to just say, I'm a dad, but I don't talk because I don't want to get, I don't want to make a mistake. And then you blame me or be frustrated with me because I didn't give you the right advice. That is not an option. That's not, that's, that's craziness. We're not doing that. Providing them with self-awareness. They may not believe everything that you tell them about themselves, but they at least need to hear it before they leave the house. They need to hear it and be clear on what you've seen in them, what their weaknesses are, what their strengths are. But most of all, what I think we provide is um, your presence. Most important thing that you provide to a child is your presence in their life. So all of these things, pursue, protect, provide, can all be corrupted. And you can, you're starting to get an imagination around that too. Each one of these things that can be very positive that you can, you can leverage to help can turn sour pretty quickly. So if you're a pursuer, right, how can pursuing be corrupted? Pursuing a child can be corrupted that it becomes, the child becomes too important like an idol. And then you're not investing in wife. All you're investing in is travel baseball because really great player and I'm pursuing him towards travel baseball and he becomes idolatrous in that way or if you um the protecting that can be corrupted with control that i'm a fear-based person afraid of everything got to control everything i'm going to rob them of opportunities to grow to fail to succeed because i'm controlling everything providing can be corrupted i can pay for everything i'm a provider i pay for everything they don't have to work they don't use their money for anything i tell them they got to pay i got to pay for all their college and they have no obligation towards college to leverage their their intellect to get scholarship or to work in the summers or during the year. And so I do everything. And so we can overprovide. So all those things can be corrupted. And what we want is we want some self-awareness around each one of these. And for us, because what I would argue is, and this is, I know this is controversial and you may or may not agree. The core of who you are, you're not really going to change that. It's, it's just, I can't describe, I don't know how God's created us. Like, with, I don't understand it all, right? But I've just seen it over and over. You're, just, you're not going to change the core of who you are. We want to mitigate our weaknesses. We want to leverage our strengths. And so we want to be wise. And most of that happens from just being aware of this is my bent. This is what I default to. And I just don't want to go overboard on it. I don't want to grow one of these and dry up the other two. Because, the, because pursuing so easy for me, that's going to be my thing. I'm not going to do the others. Or protecting is so easy for me, the others are going to dry up. Right? There needs to be some awareness of, of how, I, how I orient. So for pursuing, if I'm, if I'm super, super relational and that just squeezes out the others because all I think of is connecting and pursuing. Or in my pursuit, I only pursue um, as nice dad. Right? I never bring any difficult truth to bear. I only pursue as nice dad, as sweet dad. And so I leave out some truth and I leave out some correction and some discipline. Or if I orient towards protecting, and so and I can come off as controlling or giving a bunch of rules, and, and if, I'm this, if this is natural to me, then i got to backfill with more relational energy. i just got to be aware that, I'm, that there's a deficit here on the relational side. Or if I'm provider, I'm like, I can, you can blame anything on providing workaholic. A workaholic can always say, I mean, I got to get out there and the future's coming and weddings are coming and college is coming and retirement is coming. I gotta, there's always a good rush. I got to provide for these kids. And then you can provide, but not be around to connect with them 
and to give them other things that they need. So be careful not to build your whole resume around one of your strengths and let the other streams dry up. Look in your notes. Let me exhort you with this one, this one passage. 1 Kings chapter 1. David has some um, incredible moments and some incredible strengths. But the second half of his life, he has some significant failure. And a lot of that happens in and around his children. And, um, and it's helpful for us to have a vision for what success would look like and authentic work in this area, but also um, to have some models for what the failure looks like too. And so verse 5, about that time, David's son Adonijah began boasting, I will make myself king. Now, it's, it's hard to imagine this because it's such an ancient, irrelevant text, but that a, that, a, that a talented leader who had had some success, who was real gifted at self-promotion, would think that he's qualified to lead a nation. I know it's hard to imagine, but here you go, right? He goes, I will make myself king. So he provided for himself chariots and charioteers and recruited 50 men to run in front of him. Got to get some people out here, get some attention, right? Verse 6. Now his father, King David, had never disciplined him at any time. He never engaged him. And we see it in the scriptures. He's not pursuing, does not engage. He never disciplined at any time. Even by asking, why are you doing that? Adonijah had been born next after Absalom. He was very handsome. Yeah, I did. He's just talented, right? So he has rallied some resources, self-promoting. But David's failure is he had never disciplined him at any time. And he never even stopped to say, why are you doing that? So as we go to groups, here's what I want you to know. This is an important time. It's important for us to rally as groups. What I, what I consider to be the art of the response is that if you hear ideas... There's a time to evaluate ideas, but that's really not what we're doing right now. We're not really evaluating. You take what sticks, let the other stuff go. Is that what we want to do is, is does any of this meet me where I am? And what I want to do as a responder is I want to reject posturing. I want to reject, an authentic man can reject the posturing of here's what I look like and here's what I want you to think I am and here's who I am and I have all my stuff together or I'm a victim, everything's so big, so hard, so difficult, what can I do? We want to reject all that kind of posturing and we want to develop the skills of what it means to sit with a group of men and be able to receive information and receive ideas. We want to develop the skill of self-revealing. Here's what I think. Here's what I feel. Here's what I'm learning. Here's, here's what's failing. Here's what's working. Here, here's what I'm thinking I need to do. What do you think about that? And then to be able to reorient, to be able to receive, to be able to self-reveal, and then to be able to reorient my position and go, okay, I'm going to go try some things. Not guaranteeing success. Don't have it all figured out. No promises that this is all going to work. Just going to go take some steps. And the, the, the motivation and the ability to do this is really an issue of humility. It's can I humble myself in a way to engage with a group around some questions and, and just reorient myself and take some steps in a new direction. So as you go to group and you look at these questions, then use them as a platform to be able to jump into some of these ideas and see what you can do. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that we get to gather. And I just pray that your spirit would do the work that only he could do, that would, for whatever here that is wheat in this talk, that it would remain and that it would bear fruit and that it would give wisdom and insight to hearers that need it. For that that needs to fall away and 
um, and, and be forgotten that it would just go away, that we would respond to the things. We'd be able to receive truth. We'd be able to respond in a way that honors you, that uh, glorifies you. And then most importantly, we would reorient our steps, take a new direction and go after um, new ideas, new thoughts, take action, take steps in the right direction and just see what happens and, and see, see how you might honor that and how you might lead us into new things. And so give us your wisdom, give us your strength, give us your insight in Jesus' name. Amen.